you know, people sometimes ask me, are you afraid of dying? You know, because I'm around it. I see it all the time. And I said, no, I'm not afraid of dying. What I'm afraid of is how I'm going to die. Hello and welcome to All the Above. I'm James Brown. Thanks for joining me. You can check out my work at jamesbrowntv.substack.com. Paid subscribers get episodes early and other perks. It's there I make podcasts about the things that unite us and the people obsessed with them. It's in that spirit that I present to you a series called Completing the Circle. It's about death and dying and the people who embrace it every day. Like today's guest, Genevieve Kini Vasquez. She spent her whole life wanting to work in these fields, and she has. As a funeral director, an army medical officer, a palliative nurse, and most recently as president and CEO of the National Museum of Funeral History. She was fascinating, revealing, and eloquent. Everything you can ask for in a guest. Find me on any platform at James Brown TV and tell me what you think. You can also email me at jamesbrowntv at gmail.com. And now... My conversation with Genevieve Kini Vasquez. So there's an overlap between your military career and your funeral director career, or at least your training. Tell us more about going to school for it. Oh, going to school for it. What's the 101 class like? What was one of the classes like? Yeah. Uh... Wow, that uh, I can just tell you when I finished funeral directing school, I was like, I'm ready for medical school. I had so much intense training. I, you had to learn the entire human body. Uh, you have to know where all the veins and arteries lie, where they start, and where they bifurcate, which means they split in two. Um, because you utilize the vein and arteries to introduce the chemicals and drain the blood. And so, it was really interesting. Uh, I have to say my anatomy and physiology was my favorite class. Uh, you know, again, going back to my interests, it's always been about the human body and understanding at the cellular level what happens to the human body when we die. Um, and so the microbiology, anatomy, physiology, and of course, lab, you know, the embalming lab itself. Uh. <laughs> Getting to actually embalm uh people was um learning that art of embalming and 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 actually applying the skills uh was what i really really liked the embalming fluid the smell of the chemical not so much so but the actual embalming that i like to see the transformation you know of when you start with the human body that you know unfortunately has lost some of its uh, structural features because of the disease that they may have died from. Uh, you know, maybe they, they you know, they, they died of, a older, of old age and, and or cancer and it just withered away at their muscles and stuff. And to see that very sunken in, we call that emaciation, where they're really sucking in and then and they're very pale. And then when you're done with them, they just look like they're sleeping. It's like magic. You know, and it's just, it's really, really neat to see how we're able uh, to utilize our skill set and create that lasting impression, that last look of their loved one. Embalming. 
You mentioned the art of embalming in particular. For laymen, can you walk us through the process? You know, so embalming is 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 basically the the practice of introducing a chemical into the natural circulatory system of the human body and draining out some of the blood that, you know, has houses the bacteria and stuff that is responsible for the decomposition of the human body. In doing that, you restore the features and the coloration of the human body. So it's a, it's, it's a way of, of providing a temporary preservation. And people always ask, oh, when you embalm, does that mean that, that, that you're going to be preserved forever? Uh, no, that's not exactly the case. Embalming is one of the preservation processes. There are so many other things that you have to take in consideration. Air is our greatest decomp. Uh, so air is responsible for part of the decomposition of the human body, as well as the lack of oxygen. And when you can remove air by putting people into a casket that is uh, gasketed in its in the way that it's sealed, and then put into a like a concrete liner into the ground so that the casket doesn't implode with the earth, then you have now taken away a lot of the elements that's responsible to decomp the body. One of the most interesting things, I'm going to get scientific on you, is that in our human body, on the lower right quadrant where our appendix lives, if y'all don't realize that, we all have an appendix that we don't even use, and some people get an appendicitis, and it has to be removed. But apparently the appendix was there because back when we were cavemen and women, uh, it helped to break down the foods that the body could not digest properly so that you could pass it naturally when you have to go to the restroom. That was the whole point of an appendix. Uh, an appendix. However, next to the appendix, there are these little bacterias that live in the human body, but they only, they, they, they're kind of like hanging about, waiting for the seatbelt sign to go off on the airplane. So when you no longer can take in oxygen, all of a sudden that seatbelt sign goes off and they are free to move about the cabin. And they begin in the lower left quadrant of your body. And they begin that decomposition process from the inside. We are very artistically created to return to ashes, ashes, dust to dust. And it's due to these little microorganisms that live in the absence of oxygen. And interesting enough, if I get you as an embalmer, and you have what we call a green belly, that means you have a small green circle in your lower left quadrant, that green belly tells me, uh-oh, they are moving about the cabin and I need to get busy. I need to get this embalming chemical in to retard them and keep them from spreading. I need to turn that seatbelt sign on. Wow. Yeah. There's so many things to the art of embalming. And it gives you great pleasure. I could see it <laughs> all over your face. It it's it's fascinating. It's 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 you know it's the chemistry of the human body. It's 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 you really when when to me as as an embalmer, you really understand the makeup of the human body and how uh, it, it you know if you're a believer in God and 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 in a higher power being, 
be understanding the human body and how it's made up and how it behaves when it's living and when it dies. Like we we couldn't design that if we tried. You know, we keep trying, right? We're trying to clone it all, right? But it's so amazing and fascinating, the human body. Are you a believer? Yep. I am. I'm a Christian. Do you... I I don't know... It, 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 at least it's, it sounds like your work has not only... It sounds like it's strengthened your belief. It has. Um, and, and there are times that I have tried to put certain things to the test because we haven't even talked about my other job, which is a palliative nurse. That one I did not know. Yes, I've been doing that for the last night. I'm on my 19th year now. Uh, so, you know, to continue on with my military, I didn't want to let, want to let my 12 years go to waste. Um, and I didn't want to re-enlist because I didn't want to get sucked back into the war, which was my whole purpose of getting out in the first place. And so I went and became a government employee at the Michael E. DeBakey BA Medical Center here in Houston. And I was just going to do it while I was in school, funeral directing school, until I got my licensure and started working full-time. I thought I was going to work full-time as an embalmer. And um, at that time, we had a five-bed pilot palliative uh you uh kind of like a palliative care section on our unit that we were working and um I, again i was just like i don't know how i was just placed where i was supposed to be I, I didn't choose that unit it just chose me and i ended up there and and you know the patients unfortunately are there to die they have terminal illnesses and so we're there to give them quality of life as well as help the families understand what their loved ones are going through what to expect because any situation where you have absolutely no control over the end results, education is the next best thing, helping them to understand. Um, and unless you do it as much as I have done it, um, it's hard to grasp that initially. And even if it's told to you the second time and the third time, it's still hard to grasp because that's your loved one. We'll talk about a loved one concept later, uh, if you can remind me. Okay. Um, so yeah, so um, I, I I get to see, you know, and be there and hold their hand as they're taking their last breath. So now my circle not only became, you know, completed, but I, I added an extra ring to my circle because at first I was just curious as to what they look like once they died. But now I'm getting fulfilled because now I'm understanding what they're what they're going through during the process of death that 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 bridge that they're crossing um and and to me it's you know just like i wanted to understand what the word or i wanted to identify that smell and learn that it was death i wanted to identify what a dying person was how do you label that? And the only word I could come up with was courage. Because in that moment, and moments before, days before, weeks before, they know they're dying. They know that death is around the corner for them. That the life that they lived, that they, that they strive to maintain has no longer. And, and to see that, the people at the end of their road, 
that there's no turning around. There's no other direction that they can go. The courage that they display in those final days and in those final moments and then those final seconds to me is profound. It gives, it, it gives me great sense of, of, of understanding even more of what it's like to be human and what we endure in our lifetime. It's just, it's amazing. And, and then you talked about my faith. And so, you know, in the movies, when somebody passes away, right, you see this white spirit come out of their body and lift up. And I always refer to the movies to, to, to kind of tie it back to my facts because I get to see the facts, right? And tie it, Hollywood embellishes. They do a great job embellishing, by the way. Um, I would sit there and I'm looking for that spirit to come out of their shell. I'm looking, I want to see what they, what they show in the movies. And I'm going to tell you right now that you don't see it, but you can feel something. There's a, there, there's a sense of, 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 of outer body presence that I can feel. Um, and, 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 but, but not everybody can feel that. Um, sometimes it's too much for me to handle and I have to, to come back and regroup because the energy is too strong. Um, but it's, it's very interesting. It's interesting to understand death, dying, everything. You, you're clearly not dead, but, but you've watched people die. Many of times, many of times. How would you describe it? Peaceful. Not everyone is peaceful though. I have had some that were traumatic for, for, for the patient and myself uh, to, to witness, um, but for the most, very peaceful. Peaceful was not a word I, I would have expected there. Yeah, but it is. It is. And, and, and I just, you know, people sometimes ask me, are you afraid of dying? You know, because I'm around it. I see it all the time. And I said, no, I'm not afraid of dying. What I'm afraid of is how I'm going to die. Because I don't know. The uncertainty? The uncertainty. And I think as humans, we do what we fear is the unknown. So I, I, I don't fear death because I know it. I know death. I work with it, right? So I don't fear death itself. What I fear is how I'm going to die. Am I going to suffer? Am I going to feel the pain that's, that's leading me to my death? Or am I going to have peace? Will I be surrounded by my loved ones or will I be alone? You know, all of those elements that that I fear. Uh, drowning is probably my worst fear. Drowning in fire. Those are the two things I definitely know I don't want to die from. From my perspective, fire would be the pain. Drowning would be... For me, it would be the loss of control. Just, just not being able to get myself back to the top. And I would imagine the water rushing into my lungs and just not being able to breathe would be, you know, jarring. And I, I would assume that would also be pretty painful as well. Yeah. I don't, I, what I, are yours? I would think, I think in anguish. I'm anguish anguish yeah it would be it would, it would fill me with anguish because 
uh, uh, fear and anguish uh, would be mine. But I, I really like your perspective on control, not being able to rescue yourself, right, uh, from the waters that you have found yourself in. Especially that if you're able to swim and you know you could, could rescue yourself, but you're trapped and you can't and the water happens to be all around you, then yeah, I can see the control being the issue. But I think of anguish, uh, the anguish of knowing because I'm still going to be in my thought processes, right? I'm still going to have my, my cognitive facets. And so I will have anguish knowing that, oh my God, this is it. This is the end and I cannot breathe. When you're treating someone who's dying, do they talk to you about it? Generally, no. Generally, no. Um, a lot of times, you know, we'll get some family that'll say, oh, don't tell them they're here, but that they're here to die. We let them know that they're in the hospital, that they're going to get better to fight. And I, and I, and I, of course, we go with their wishes because that's what we do. Um, for me, it's an injustice, right? It's it's like, tell the person that they're dying. Let them know. Let them be able to say their last goodbyes or try to to finalize whatever it is they want to finalize. But nine times out of ten, the patient knows they're dying. They don't tell their loved ones. The loved ones don't tell them. It becomes the elephant in the room. Do they tell you? No, because they know I know they know. They know that I know why they're there, and they know why they're there. You see? Wow. So, again, it becomes the elephant in the room. It's the, shh, we don't talk about it. Even though you're right there, I mean, you're at death's door, but we still don't talk about it, you'd be surprised. And sometimes I will go in and fill the room when I say seal the room, I'm feeling the energy in the room from the family members and kind of understand what they need, you know, pick up on that. Um, there are some families where you just realize that you, you just, you have a general conversation. You talk about the care of their loved one, but you don't talk about the death of their loved one. And then there's other families you go in and you say, how can I help you understand what your loved one's going through? Um, can I help you understand what it is that you're going to need when that does happen? A lot of times I'll tell family members when, you know what, when they take their last breath, don't call us. Be here. Be in the moment. There's nothing we can do. Don't ring the call light. Don't come out looking for us. Be here with them. Stay in the moment with them because there's nothing we can do. That's not, you know, they're here to pass away. So I encourage them to stay and be with them. And then there are times when they'll pass when they go out, when they leave. And, and, and the family member's like, I just went out to go get something to eat. And then I have to sit down and let them know there are people that wait for you to leave to pass because they don't want to do it while you're there. And then there are some people that you have to give them permission to pass. They're hanging on and they're hanging on. And then we, you know, we, we kind of become a little bit of investigative, if you will. Uh, you're like, after a while, you're just like, okay two weeks they haven't eaten they haven't drinking they're hanging on for something it's obvious that they're hanging on for something and you you start asking family members is there somebody that they're possibly waiting to talk to is there somebody we can get on the phone and, and let him say their their last words to 
someone they just need to hear the voice of so that person can give them permission to pass. And once you find that person, they usually will pass. And there's so many different faces of death. Death has many faces. I see you there. You kind of you have your mouth open. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm I'm a bit shocked. Um, I'm thinking of a, of, of being uh, uh, of being in that that person's shoes, right? Yes, exactly. I, I, I yeah, I, I'm glad you're thinking that way because I have thought that way too. I have actually stood over them and I thought, what? And how am I going to behave when it's my yeah. turn? What will I you're be thinking? Yeah, when it's my turn. Exactly. Because, exactly. Because you know what, James? You're going to have a turn and I'm going to have a turn. It will be our turn one day. We just don't know when our day is. Your family knows. You know. The nurse knows. The orderly bringing you food knows. If you're even eating at that point, oh, we still have whoever, to whoever else is helping knows, but nobody's talking about it. A lot more than you think. Nobody talks about it. As a professional communicator, that would be torture. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I can see that. <laughs> totally. I can see that for you. Yeah. And as family and friends know, I'm pretty blunt as well. <laughs> so, so lay it on me. What you got to yeah. say? <laughs> I, I would just be tormented by by that. So, if if my family and friends are watching this, please, I'm not going to change my mind, even if I can't speak. Tell me what the hell's going on, you know? Exactly. And and uh, see, and that's another thing that we tell family members all the time. It has been learned that the last sense, because we have our five senses, right? They said that the last sense of the human body is our hearing that goes. So I always tell people, even though your patient, even though your loved one can't open their eyes, even though your loved one cannot communicate to you, they can hear you. They can hear you. Give them permission. Talk to them. Let them know you're here. They can hear you. And be careful what you say, because they can hear you. When you deal with so many dead people and dying people, well, the dying ones in particular. Do the families blur? Do some stand out? Um, I, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah, there are some, there are, there are definitely some standouts and there are some that you're right, that do fade off into the background. Uh -huh. But then, you know, you'll have uh, ones, you know, that, that will replace a standout and the standout that used to be now becomes more into the background. <laughs> I'll ask anyway, because my gut says I know the answer, but I, I, I'll ask. Do you cry 
in these moments when someone dies? Do they cry? No, do you? Oh, do I? Oh, that's a very good question. Thank you for asking that, by the way. Uh, yes, uh, there are times I do cry. Um, and there are times when I'm able to hold myself together. Um, a lot of it has to do with the amount of time I have gotten to know the patient, the family, the amount of time I have worked with that person. Um, yes, I do cry. And I do tell myself on the day that I can no longer cry is the day I need to retire from my profession because I've lost my ability to have empathy. How important is empathy through this? Empathy and compassion are the, the two most important um, elements that a human being can possess, especially in this line of work. Because you have to put yourself, be able to put yourself emotionally, physically in the, in, in the mindset of the patient and the family and what they're going through in that moment. But at the same time, you have to also be compassionate to the situation, but also professional because there are times where you have to be a little blunt uh, and you have to be a little forceful, but the best way to do it is do it in a very confident, professional manner. Because you got to remember these families, they're like a ship out at sea in the middle of a storm. They don't know which direction to go. They need somebody to help navigate them through this storm. We don't deal with death every day in our life. So when death does come and visit us and become part of our life for whatever reason, it puts us on a different course and it tends to stir us around, turn us upside down, and we have a very hard time understanding what it is we're supposed to be doing. And, and now that we're saying that, I said, remember to remind me to talk about my loved one. I'm a death care professional. I've been dealing with that all the time. But tell me why, when I got notified of my sister's death, I dropped to my knees. I grieved and howled from a place and pit in my stomach I never knew existed. And I spent an entire week not knowing what was to be done. I'm a funeral director. I know Dennis. But in that moment, my grief was so extensive, so deep, that I was like that ship tossed at sea. Still to this day, I don't know the name of the funeral home that my sister was at. I couldn't even tell you how to get there. Even if you paid me a million dollars, I'm sorry, would love a million dollars, but I do not know how to get there. Because my grief was so strong that I needed somebody else to take control in that moment. And actually going through my sister's death the way I did makes me a better death care professional because now I understand the profound effect it can have on somebody and how it can make them feel so lost in those moments. And you do need to be firm and professional and be consistent and just say, you know what, you're not physically taking them by the hand, but you're emotionally taking them by the hand and giving them the direction that they need at the time at that time in a very difficult time in life my condolences thank you and my condolences to you too thanks for listening to all of the above let me know what you think at james brown tv anywhere 
And of course, at jamesbrowntv.substack.com. Paid subscribers can listen to more of my conversation with Genevieve now. Everyone else will hear the next part next week. I'm James Brown, and as always, be well. Be well.